it is truly rare to come across originality these days. At a time when we are drowning in remakes and reboots that feed nostalgia rather than growth, the chances of finding something new and truly interesting are kind of low. We love the comfort of repetition, more than the challenge of something that compels us to think rather than just digest. In 2009, I stumbled across a hidden gem of a film that slipped underneath most people's radars. That film was called Pontypool. It was utter insanity in the best of ways. In a rare moment in my jaded adult years, I watched all the way to the end credits trying to soak in all of what I had just seen. Immediately poured myself a glass of bourbon, and then promptly started the movie over again, watching it for the second time that evening. I must have watched it four times that first week that I had it, at the very least. It has since become tradition to watch it two to three times a year. Pretty sure I can quote the whole movie front to back. I'm a huge Monty Python fan, and I know the Holy Grail pretty well, but I think I might know Pontypool better. My fascination with this film compelled me to do something that I hadn't done since I was in film school. I looked up every person involved in its production and I started tracing backwards to their previous works. And that is how I discovered Tony Burgess. After discovering one of my favorite films of recent years was based off of a novel, and the writer of said book actually wrote the screenplay for the film adaptation of his own work, I immediately ordered Pontypool Changes Everything, originally published in 1995. Before opening up that 276-page collection of utterly brilliant insanity, I had no idea how appropriate the title was. Because Pontypool did change everything. I spent several years on a hunt to track down Burgess's body of work, and each publication I read only made it that much more delightfully crazy, horrifying, humorous, frightening, and original. Tonight, I am pleased and honored to have Tony join us here on XV Planets, along with Carl and Rachel from Deviant Legion, for a conversation about Tony's work in literature and film, his creative process, upcoming projects to look forward to, and the fact that he doesn't give a shit that his house is haunted. I am your host, Flood. Welcome to XV Planets. fiends, and lovers of strange and wondrous things. Welcome back to XV Planets. I am Flood, your host, and tonight, transmitting from the Black Lodge, I have three very special guests with me. Now, Carl, who you've already met uh, from Deviant Legion, which uh, you heard on the Midnight Mass episode, and now we have Rachel joining for the first time officially on XV Planets. Rachel, thank you so much for joining us. Oh my god, I'm so excited. We're so happy (laughs) to have you here. Now, the... uh, but the real reason that we're all here tonight is our guest of honor, and that would be author, screenwriter, and probably the only person who can simultaneously tickle my funny and fear bone at the same time, Mr. Tony Burgess. Tony, thank you so much for joining us. Glad to be here. Glad to be here. Hi, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, 
most of you who have listened to me and uh, have listened to any of the things that I've done with Deviant Legion, doing in the commentaries, know that I'm actually quite a fan of Tony's work. Pontypool is one of my favorite movies of all time, and that actually cracked open a whole egg of looking into where the source material came from. And boy, oh boy, if you ain't read that, you need to just go ahead and stop listening to this podcast right now. Go read the book, read all of his books, and then come back and listen to us. Read the Beauty <laughs> Mayhem series, just all of them. Just absolutely. One hundred percent. No, yeah, no, Rachel, yeah, go yeah. do that. <laughs> <laughs> buy them, buy them. Uh, yeah, I got I a and That's it for me. <laughs> if if uh, Tony, if I could turn my computer so that you could actually see my uh, bookshelf, you would you would be shocked about how many times you show up, my friend. Oh, terrific! Well, I'm very flattered. Thanks, guys. Uh, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being here. Um, at this moment, for my listeners who are not familiar uh, with who you are and, and your work, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, well, I'm, I write uh, f- uh, fiction and I write for films, as you say. A uh, bunch of books. Uh, I, uh, I lived in Toronto, uh, went to university there in art school and some different things and uh, messed around for a couple decades or a few decades, I guess. And uh, then... Uh, Moved up into this tiny town of Stainer. I, bu- I published pu- uh, the Hellmouth of Beauty, uh, and then the, pre- the the publisher liked it enough that they said, "Let's do another. Let's do a two book deal." I said, "Okay." I didn't have a book, and <clears throat> so I signed that. And <clears throat> that was Pontypool. So I wrote that in a, actually a bit of a hurry, and then uh, we shot up here to a small town where uh, I married my wife Rachel Jones. She's a uh, uh, a lawyer up here, and we had two kids, Griffin and Camille. I did a lot of community theater, and then got into. Uh, we, then we, you know, we shot Pontypool, and then I got into uh, some of the crazy grindhouse film production up here, and digging that. So you know, that's where I'm at. Writing, awesome. uh, writing crazy shit, and hoping somebody will read it one day. <laughs> I think more people read it than you know, my friend. But well, that'd be uh, great. Yeah, you know, word of mouth travels fast, so let's let's get the word out here. Um, I uh, I kind of want to just open the floor, uh, Tony. Most importantly, we want you to be able to talk as much as you want about what you're working on, where you're going right now, uh, what we can look forward to from yeah. you in the future. Yeah, lots um, of things. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, right now, I mean, just tell you what I'm up to right now. Uh, the um, just wrapped a film with uh, the it's Collingwood, a small town nearby here, which I've done a number of films with these guys. They've reinvented themselves a, <coughs> a few times. Did the Septic Man and Ejecta, these sort of grindhousey, sort of really lo-fi stuff, really uh, low budget things that are just uh, you know gore and <coughs> uh, gore and comedy, really. But uh, and Hellmouth and um, what else is there? Executioners. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. Eject. Yeah, anyway, those. And so we they sort of turned it around and kind of reinventing themselves a little bit as the Collingwood Film Company. Uh, I acted, first time I've ever done that, where I sort of acted throughout the film. I was, the, it was a, uh, called To Hell with Harvey. And uh, that kind of was fun because I didn't write it. So I enjoyed that. And, uh, uh, Won an, won an award for Best Actor, the Hamilton Wow. Nice. <laughs> so anyway, so I'm digging that. And I kind of like, that's kind of more what I do with them right now 
is sort of act. But I asked that I can rewrite my part when when I get the script. If I don't, you know what I mean. I just no, no, no. <laughs> Love it. So, uh, which is brilliant. a lot of fun, and 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 we get along so well uh, that you know we can work that way. And a lot of the stuff they're doing now is this kind of gonzo running gun gore comedy stuff that's just uh, some of it's improvised some of it's written as as and it's hilarious and it's you know broad broad humor <coughs> we 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 do uh we there's an elvis festival in collingwood which is actually the second biggest elvis festival outside of graceland uh-huh. And on the 25th anniversary, which was going to be the last one because support for it had fallen through, uh, oh. we sent in our teams of Elvi uh, to be, to be, to do impersonation to be Elvis artist. What are they called? They're called tribute artists. And we also sent in three uh, uh, film units under kind of a fake press passes. And we had security guards, fake security guards, but a fake coordinator, and we punked the whole festival coming in from different places, and 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 we got in like our our Elva, and I was one of them, one of the Elvises. We we got into the festival and you know performed on the main stage and did the whole thing, and so we filmed it all with our film units, and it was just, it was, it was amazing, actually amazing experience, and we had to sort of like. You know, if we saw officials coming towards us, we had to deke out and hide in the washrooms and you know, run up the hill. And then, but by the end of it, we were so convincing. This is what we didn't. We expected to get busted and pulled down any second. Uh, by the end of it, our fake coordinator was asked by the real coordinator to take over. And she didn't even know, and she didn't even ask her what she was, what were her credentials or anything. And our our Elvises. We were they were on the nightly news when the news came in to to uh, interview Elvises. They picked our, our Elvises like so. We totally took over, and they didn't know. Uh, they have a very tight security. They don't let people in to film it. So anyway, so that was the last thing we did, and that's being cut right now. Uh, and it's it's, it's, it's it's spectacular. Spectacular. So this was captured for a documentary, and we're going to be able to watch it then. Well, or? it's not. Yes, you know what? There's two versions. There's a documentary, and there's a actual, you know, the real. There's a story. There's a narrative. They're characters. Um, okay. In fact, I'll tell you. At one point, my Elvis character on stage in front of several thousand people shits himself on stage and runs off crying, <laughs> and. <laughs> and uh, w- when I did this, all the people in the audience were like freaked out, right? They're all running around, make sure the Elvis is okay. And for days, whenever I was walking around, they'd, they'd be looking, that's the guy there. That's the poor Elvis there. Yeah, no, it's, just, uh, it's just terrible what happened to that guy. <laughs> so anyway, so we created a narrative around it. It's a, it's going to be a riot, man. It's like it's really funny and it's original as hell. I mean, I've never seen anything quite like it. Uh, then we just wrapped a film called Cult Hero, uh, which is another kind of big, broadly comic, ridiculously gore-based. Uh, good. So anyway, I think that'll probably come out this year. And like I said, working uh, working hard on the um, just 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 about finished the Cash Town uh, screenplay with a couple of terrific producers who are just just really really disciplined, really patient. And know how to get things made, which you know, this stage that's that's what I want from people. That's because I don't know how to get things made. I want people around me who do know. Hmm. 
anyway, and so the, the, I'm really, really happy with that project right now. Uh, just, just it'll be wrapped. The the script will be done this week for sure. And that was that's a two year job. <clears throat> I spent two years writing that, which I think oh, is a good. Like, it's probably a bit long, but I think at least a year you need to write a good script. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, I mean, septic man is septic man, but uh, <coughs> but septic man is awesome. Come septic on, septic man is, is according to the Guardian, it's the seventeenth worst film of all time. Well, the Guardian could go. You no, know no, what? No. I put that on my resume, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> that's on yes, my, that's on my resume. Absolutely. So, was that and in the fiction front? Uh, you were saying you read that story I posted there this week. Um, I sort of have to kind of grab time to write fiction, but I did start, and it's almost done, a new novel. Uh, and it, it it was a challenging thing to write. It was sort of in the middle of the like the darkest days of the of the pandemic lockdown, and and you know when, when it was really you really felt like you didn't know which way things were going to go, you know, and, and day by day, it was sort of horrifying and, and you couldn't focus or concentrate or sleep properly, all those sorts of things right in the middle of the worst of it. And I was, I was having great deal of, a great deal of uh, trouble figuring out what to write because if this is invading and occupying and, and it, it, your, whole, your whole head and your life, you can't but use it. And I didn't want to write a kind of, I mean, I didn't want to write a kind of di- you know, COVID diary because I, I, I assume that we'll be getting tens of thousands of those any day now. So I didn't want to do that. And, and I didn't want, and I tried to sort of write a narrative thing, uh, but I found I couldn't concentrate. I couldn't sustain interest. I couldn't focus long enough. And my, my thoughts were kept getting interrupted. And I couldn't sustain it. So I thought, well, what the hell? Then I, ha- I figured I have to isolate what that is, what is happening in my thinking, because that's the, that's the writing. Uh, and I, I read at the time a very interesting idea, because people, there was all kinds of articles at the time about what it is you know, that, that people are going through psychologically. And one, one person gave the analogy of, of going to bed and – not sure if you left the stove on. And so you, you lay there feeling like something's unresolved and potentially apocalyptic, and you're not going to do anything about it, or you can't do anything about it. It's just you continuously feel like you've left the oven on. Now, that was interesting, a feeling that there's nothing you can do about it, uh, and it's unresolved, and it's potentially disastrous, but your day-to-day life hasn't changed. I mean, and so I thought that was quite interesting. The other one is, and it's a Greek term, and I've forgotten it already. Uh, it's not ennui, and it's not. Um, to, it, it's like to to languish spiritually, and it's to sort of uh, to have no direction uh, in yourself uh, that you find you know, that gives you pleasure, or gives you a reward, or makes you feel good, or or that you can complete. And uh, it was a term for it. I thought that was true too. <laughs> and then I thought that the most likely thing is that I'm it, that I'm experiencing a continuous interruption in the way I think about things, because you see, you see the pattern of thought. And you think that's going to I'll feel okay now, 
And then, you know, 10 minutes later, no, I don't feel okay. And then you realize I'm going to have to do a new, a new way of thinking, <laughs> you know, a new pattern of thought that will give me some reward, some pleasure. And uh, uh, so I sat down and I wrote uh, tens of thousands of words, just like nonstop. Um, it's sort of automatic writing, which is, I do, I do a lot of automatic writing, uh, but this book is automatic writing uh, and I set up all kinds of uh, scenarios, locations, maps, uh, you know, medical texts, just different things around me. And I sat on my front porch for about three months and I just wrote automatically, making sure that, er that every sentence is interrupted, maybe even twice. So that you would have, you would, it will feel like it's it's moving forward. It would feel like it's resolving an idea, but it doesn't have the. Um, it's missing a part. It's missing the part that tells you, you know, I'm here and it's okay. And anyway, I don't know if that makes any sense to you, but so it has a kind. Of, the anguish in it is not, you know, in the thing I'm pointing at or saying. It's in the way I'm saying it and the way I'm pointing it out. Mm -hmm. So that's that's, and I'm really happy with that. It I, some excerpts have been published, and I can point them to you. Uh, point them out to you. Uh, maybe when you uh, post this, I'll stick up. Yeah, yeah. Send me the links for it. I'll yeah, be yeah. more than happy to yeah. share with our listeners. Uh, for, from what you're telling to me, the automatic writing thing. Are are you the novelist version of uh, Austin Omar Spare? Is that what's going on? <laughs> Sorry, say that again. <laughs> Uh, Austin uh, Osmond Spare, the the guy who essentially created chaos magic and did a whole lot of. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yes. Right. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, I'm a huge fan, a huge fan of automatism, and I, I use it in everything I do. I use it when I cook. I use it when I make furniture. I improvise. I make spontaneous furniture in the backyard in the summer. Improvised. And automatic. I do it in my writing. I do it in the, my approach to film, and I do it in my daily habits. So nice. I, it keeps me sort of living in a half, kind of a half dream state, I guess, uh, when I want to be. But that's also like just can be deeply disastrous. <laughs> or. Beautiful. Like in my opinion, if 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 you're diving in a stream of consciousness writing, which is kind of what you described to me um, personally, I think the outcome is absolutely beautiful. Well, thank but. you very much. Thank <laughs> you. I mean, it's not it. It sound. You know what? I don't like. I don't like the sound of it, and I don't recommend it because I think you have to really take it seriously. You can't just go. Oh, so you know, you're telling. It's like it's like you know, the kid looking, the the parent looking at the Jackson Pollock and saying, "Oh no, I shouldn't be doing that comparison." But the the um, it's like uh, it takes discipline and it takes work, and and you can't expect it to just sort of like be undisciplined and 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 indulgent. You have to uh, you have to treat it as a you know an important tool. It's got all kinds of things in it: structural things, formal things. Uh, you know, there's all kinds of things within uh, automatism that's that that you have to bring along with it, you, and you have to read a lot of automatic writing. You have to you have to take a look at it. So anyway, yeah, I I I, I, I uh, and now I don't even notice that I'm doing it because I do it all the time. 
So one of the things that I've been telling people, and I I already have a list of friends. I got the Beautifully Mayhem. Like, there's a trilogy that you can get, like, all in one. um, So you don't have to buy all the books separately. And that's been making the rotation around my friend group. We don't have wine circles or anything like that, but uh, it's been <laughs> it's been making its way like it's it's on loan kind of indefinitely right now because I keep telling people, and it's the same with the movie, which by the way I also love love love. I'm Thank you. surprised my my twelve year old hasn't busted in here and started screaming, "Kisses kill, Mama! Kisses kill!" <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah, they, they they caught me watching that movie, and then, um, but I, I keep telling people that it's Echo Lalia zombies, and and it's even more interesting when you can read it. But you know, even just seeing it on the screen, uh, would you consider that maybe an apt description without you know really spoiling too much of what's going yes, on? Yes, yes, it's Echo Lalia, and it, it's Echo Lalia, and and there's a, there's it's sort of Echo Lalia is a big feature. Um, but there's also uh, different kinds of aphasias and and thought disorders and uh, like a, a disorganized thought that sort of uh, comes with it. I mean, it's I, I, I was thinking of it purely in in, in terms of uh, medical terms of behaving like a virus, so that when somebody gets it, there will be certain symptoms that will be stronger in one person and, and, and certain symptoms that will be stronger in another person. Another person will be more susceptible to to having to going mute, for instance, to not speaking at all, mm-hmm. uh, because it's moving around in the in in the part of of the consciousness that's organizing language. So, but echolalia is the most visible, um, most audible uh, symptom. That, that that's why it's identified more most frequently. But there are others. Yeah. Okay. So one one thing I wanted to say was when I read the first review of Pontypool. I think it was in Newsweek. And the description was, it's a zombie movie as if Noam Chomsky <laughs> wrote it. And, and, and immediately I had to watch it. Mm-hmm. And which I finally got to it about a year later. And then it was like, this man, Tony Bur- Burgess, I have to read this stuff. <laughs> and, 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 and wonderful. Now I haven't read the whole trilogy but i have read Pontypool pool changes everything well god bless you because I, like i said a lot of people they pick it up and about 20 pages in sort of throw it against a wall which well, uh, you know i can live let with. me let me put it this way it took me a year but i got through gravity's rainbow yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh god i'm losing my shit over that one i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> Well, I don't know. Oh, if so yeah, yours wow. was a piece of cake compared to that. That's great. God bless Thomas Pitchock. Anyway, moving on. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yes, Echolalia, and the um, uh, and we had discussions, lots of discussions with, typically with producers who want to know, you know, they want to know that they want to understand everything, right? And and uh, you know, I, I sympathize now more with the producer's position than I did back then. Um, just for through experience, but they want they want to know why the virus isn't infecting everybody the same way at the same time, and you know what, why we don't know the the original word that is infected. All these questions about, and I said at the time that typically of you know a zombie movie, which I don't know this is, I think it is um, a zombie movie starts up and you it starts up and you get the rule you need the rules. 
It's almost like you get them out of the way. And in, in any infection movie or, uh, you know, uh, undead or whatever you do, uh, the rules have to be sort of established. I mean, there's even uh, the zombie land, which is the whole thing is, is a joke about that, that there mm-hmm. are rules. And, and the rules have to be explicit and they have to be upfront and everybody's got to get them. And then we've got to see the rules used so that everybody's there and they, you know, they're using the, the rules and that's very satisfying. And, you know, maybe there's a deviation down the road. Why did that person you know, not do that? Oh my God, let's do us. You know, I mean, it, you've got the great stuff in, and it's worked sometimes to great effect, like in the thing where the rules of the creature uh, are are you know they, they're completely necessary and 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 they drive the plot and everything, but you know I, it kind of drives me crazy, and we, at the time it was driving me crazy because to me, uh, and, and we're going through this now, when something like that happens, uh, a big event that is is a virus in this case. Uh, you don't know what it is. You don't know how it behaves. And you don't know what the, I mean, even now with this, we don't know. I mean, every, almost every day you hear somebody talk in an assured way about what it is and what's being done and how it's going to end and, and this and that. And each day they are making it up. I mean, I'm not an, in any way a kind of anti-science guy or anti-medical guy. And I think I think we should be very, very grateful for things like vaccines and for study, studying, you know, treatments and all of that. I mean, that is so key to how we get out of this. But we still haven't got it under control. Oh, yeah. We're in uncharted territory right yeah, now. Yeah, we still, sure. nobody, and it's a simple coronavirus. I mean, it's not, you know what I mean? We're not talking about some brand new, completely brand new form of virus. So, uh, my argument with producers at the time was you won't know. You won't know why it affects one person and doesn't affect another person. And you won't know if you've cured it or not, or whether that's just because so-and-so has got a, a, a piece of DNA that rejected, you know what I mean? Like there's so complex a set of, of things going on. And they thought, ah, it's, yeah, I don't want to do that. But <laughs> I thought the whole thing had to be about not knowing, not knowing what was happening, and and it starts very and and it spreads out to not knowing what's going on in the town, not not knowing what's going on in the sky, not knowing what's going on outside, not knowing what's going on inside uh, Laurel Ann, not knowing anything. You just don't know, and you get certain ideas that maybe it's this and maybe it's that. And even when he goes to the killer's kiss, uh, I, there's a there's a radio version of that where uh, in the radio version that there is no there is no cure. And 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 kill his kiss. I don't. I would. I don't think it was a cure. I mean, I don't know because I wasn't there. <laughs> but so I mean, those kinds of certainties. I I thought we would have a lot more, uh, a lot more terror in in not knowing these things than in getting our quick list of to dos. And this is what it is, and this is what not. And then you just got a siege movie that might as well be anything. Right. It, it's just anything. It could be, it doesn't matter. It's a war movie, really. <clears throat> and so, uh, you know, that was sort of, I don't know why I'm talking about that, but that, <clears throat> that's, that was the uh, argument around, around knowing 
what what it is. So that was uh, on your 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 question about the symptom, the symptom of echolalia, and uh, so I, I just I just wonder if echolalia is just something that, that people recognized, but maybe there's other symptoms going on here that are much worse that they're not recognizing, they're not hearing, they don't see, because this terrible moment when the person um, is in the final sort of throes of this thing and they jump on a victim and try to eat their way inside the person's throat and, and then in the process die and killing their, so it's this kind of suiciding of the, of, you know, it's just, it's, it's so it's just this horrible. What is the, what is the impulse, the motivation, the bizarre selfless passion what is the person seeing reading or, or thinking when this is happening to them so i wanted us not to know that that kind of stuff i could and i still don't know but i've got a bunch of different ways i think you can come at things from a bunch of different ways much like we're experiencing right now with 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 our big ass coronavirus but <clears throat> yeah so i like you know that's a thing i like i like uncertainty and i also like you know and it, it doesn't drive me totally crazy if a film works the film works but I sort of really like the first acts of movies. I like when, you know, you know, you think about when, when people first hear that something's wrong, there's a little sign, something's weird. So-and-so's and it, and it still feels real. And as soon as they get past that, and we get to the shotgun and the librarian head blows off and the this and the that, and that, it doesn't feel real anymore. And you're in a kind of comedy. And that's fine. If it's done well, it's done well and it succeeds. But to me, the real scary part was that first act when you you believed the people were real and you believed in the, the, the moment that the moments that were happening. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so the one thing talking about beginnings and we're, we're still talking about Pontypool, Mrs. French's cat is it, missing. Yeah. I mean, I listened to that. And I says, I am a fan of this movie forever. I don't have to watch anything else. I am a fan of this writer. I'm, you know, seriously, that is one of the most beautiful openings and and, and I have ever seen in a film. Well, thank you very much. That was, you know what, that was a total example of, uh, of auto, auto, automatic writing. Because I sat down with my Latin oh, to really? English, French to English, this to that, that to this, and a map and that <clears throat> around me. And I randomly pulled up, uh, I randomly came up with the missing cat. And so then I just put, uh, I put down, you know, Mrs. French's cat is missing a pony pool. Okay, first of all, I've got to find out what's, what's French for pony pool. Then I did that. And then what's Latin for, what's ponty mean? What's pont, what's, uh, so I just sort of unpacked that sentence. And, and created a series of running, you know, parallel uh, narrative bits that would be coincident and stuff. And I did ahead of time think about a bizarre Norman Mailer idea. And it shows up in Oswald's Tale and it shows up in, shows up in a bunch of books, actually. Yeah, it does. Yeah. yeah. And it, around this kind of suspicion that enormous events caused this kind of bizarre uh, synchronicity around words, names, things like that. So I took that from him. That's why I, I cited him because I knew I was stealing. But then I used it. <laughs> I used that. And uh, yeah, that was, so it was like, it was totally one of those things that 
I got to the end of it and it just did it one like you know real quick and I thought oh my god that works that works <laughs> so thank you so like uh, regarding you said the word synchronicity and and this this does actually lead me to one of the only few questions I have honestly we just wanted you to come up here and riff the whole time <laughs> but because of the nature of my show Tony I got to ask you directly you ever had anything weird happen to you <laughs> yeah <laughs> do you feel comfortable sharing that I'm trying you to think see. of what your what the question is. Uh, weird regarding synchronicities, or just weird synchronicities, UFOs, spirituality, anything. I mean, that's that's pretty much what XV Planets is all about: is the exploration, right, of right, the odd and the unknown, right. the occult, which right. definition is hidden knowledge, but that can come in a lot of different forms and a lot of different flavors. And this is something that I ask any guest who ever comes on here is, have you yourself had any uh, uh, strange experiences? Because I got to tell you, the way that you write some of your things, uh, is some of your work, like it really speaks to me as far as the concept of uh, uh, synchronicities and, and um, having moments where the reality that you're familiar with starts to kind of fade away a little bit. Yes. Right. I mean, that's those sorts of things. I mean, that's a huge, huge area to unpack. Um, huge area to unpack because I do have a kind of, and it's related to automatism and it's related to certain things. A, uh, um, a, um, what was I trying to say? A, uh, an invocation of, uh, uh, pl pl places and words and things that I believe exist um, that uh, that that help me, and I, I think I don't think I'm covering much further than that. Um, but I will tell you a good ghost story that I experience on the daily. First of all, now this is the way I tell this story. I don't have, myself personally, my family is, they're all believers. They all believe in ghosts. They believe in UFOs. They watch all the, the you know, the strange and unexplained and all that. And they all, my, my son is a, what are them readers? Electric. Oh, the spirit box or the EMF readers. EMF readers. He's got an EMF yeah. reader and his Ouija board. He's got all his gear up there. He's always running down in the basement with this thing going. He's like, you know, he's, he's checking. Out. But <clears throat> me, who I should be the guy who's leading the show, I have zero, zero belief. I don't believe because I just don't believe. I just don't. I, do, I don't believe in ghosts. I don't believe in 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 see through things walking around the house saying boo. I don't believe that. Okay, now that's how I introduced the story. So, we buy this house in Stainer, Ontario, and it's built in the 1860s. It's a very old house. It was the original house of the town. In fact, the street below us is Margaret. Above is Christopher. And above that is John. Those are the three kids of the man that built my house. So, and 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 the back of our house went on, you know, throughout the town of the, the the property, old house. Back in those days, 
Um, funeral, they, there were no funeral parlors in these small farm towns. They designated the sort of manner of the region to have a, a parlor room where viewings would take place. And it would be a room in the house with a special window. And if somebody died in the county, their, their, their coffin would be brought here and people would, would come converge at that house to, that would be the funeral. Well, that's our kitchen. And our kitchen window is this little narrow, weird, bizarrely shaped window. We, we were told this by both the real, real, real estate agent and I, I, I went to the Stainer Historical Society because I wanted to confirm these things. And uh, yes, in fact, it's true that our kitchen was a funeral, a viewing room, right? And, and so that, that was an interesting thing. Then um, we've, I did some more research and found that the daughter, the lo- only daughter no, it's not the only daughter. I guess if this was in the early 1930s. Anyway, one of the, the one of the daughters of the, the next owner, I guess, uh, a thistleweight was her name, uh, was uh, uh, lived alone in this house. And as the cliche goes, yes, with dozens and dozens and dozens of cats. And she occupied only this room, actually just right above me, my son's room. <laughs> and I shouldn't talk about this because it freaks him out. But... So she she lived in that room, and the cats lived in the rest of the house. And in the local general store, um, she when the cats died, well, she was rich. When the cats died, she insisted that the general store stock a specific type of leather luggage. And she would take the cat and bury the cat in the brand new piece of luggage in the backyard. Now I've had this confirmed from the historical society and from the, the and and so apparently in my backyard there was upwards of sixty cats buried in brand new luggage. So there you go. So that's an interesting thing. But so it, it, she's she as she was she was known as an eccentric, and in fact by that time the house had its reputation. By that time the house is considered, you know, a, around the is considered a place that's haunted. And it's considered a place where eccentric and strange and weird things are happening. <clears throat> and so, you got ghost cats. You know what? That's the other thing that, that the the previous owner. I said, "Do you ever see the ghosts?" And she says, "No, but the cats freak out all the time." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's kind of normal for cats. So, okay, so it, it, apparently in the thirties, uh, uh, Lady Thistlewaite up in that room, um, died. And since then, right up into the 50s, uh, people in town would see her up there. They'd see her looking down and out and down and through the... And so this was the huge, the huge... It was a house you didn't go to. And in fact, when we first moved here, whenever I go to a yard sale or something in town, I get pulled aside. What, have you ever heard anything of in that house? You okay living in there? You know, are you sure you want to live? I mean, it was classically right out of an M. Night Shyamalan moment. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> don't go upstairs. <laughs> <laughs> and so there was that going on. Okay, so now here's the thing. I hear voices and footsteps almost every day to the point where I have in the top bottom of my stairs said, Shut up up there. I've seen people walk by windows. Uh, uh, all Everybody in our house has. And in fact, my son uh, has had one that sort of 
follows him around and whispers his name in their ear. So, I mean, so the house is frothy, frothy with ghosts. And I am the only one who doesn't care because I have no belief in it whatsoever. None at all, huh? No. Well, cool. Well, uh, regardless, I'm going to load up all my equipment and paranormal investigation stuff. What I'm telling you is true, though. What I'm telling you is true. No, but he believes it. Trust me, Tony. No, what I'm telling you is true. And it's totally weird because I'll hear that and I'll I'll go, my Jesus, there's somebody walking around upstairs. Of course, there's nobody home. I'm by myself. And then I just make myself a coffee and try to forget about it. But (laughs) yeah, and, and all kinds of, I mean, you know, the instances are regular regular ah uh, the coffee the spice must flow you know it must yes. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway that's my ghost story and it's I'm, I'm i'm in the middle of it right now so and it's something we've just gotten used to we've gotten used to it hmm cool and i've never gone in the backyard and dug up the cat somebody said i should do that have like a big cat museum or something <laughs> I mean, maybe I've for a vintage luggage to showcase maybe. or something. <laughs> you know what I'm I think, yeah, I think it may be a little bit. Friends with a taxidermist. A little bit crumbly now. <laughs> this is delightfully morbid, and I fucking love it. It's great. <laughs> See, that actually reminds me of a science experiment my mom was working on when I was a kid. Um, she's a She works in textiles and stuff, and she was making... Uh, vintage style clothing you know with proper materials and stuff and dressing fetal pigs and then burying them in the backyard to um to see the decomposition rate of the clothing to help get data on you know how long it takes for these types of fibers to you know well basically decay with human flesh decaying them and it's it was wow, for science totally <laughs> but still like it's got to be weird dressing up piglets in um in prom dresses i guess no uh, no no it's... like we're talking like historical garments so it was dressing oh, up piglets oh. in like little elizabethan gowns okay that's, that's, that's genius that's genius and i get a little tie-in story of that and it actually shows up in Caesarea, uh, uh, the uh, that the novel, uh, which is yeah bizarre. Have you guys ever come across a, a cast on corners or end body problem? No, not I yet. I okay. have been trying to get that one. There is only one library in my state that stocks any of your books, and it's two <laughs> counties away. And I've got a friend that's going to let me pretend I live with them so that I can use their address to get a library card in that county just so I can get the digital freaking copy of it right now. Well, I think that they're my favorite books anyway. I think they're my favorite, my personal favorites. But um, And, and the, what happened was the press that I, I went with a different press and they they had a big scandal around behavior, or, you know, exploitation of people and, you know, sexual this and that and not paying and just a shit show. And then they got, they got smacked. And so they went under. And so they are currently unavailable. But I have a deal with my other press to, to publish them when the Cashham film comes out. So and publish them as like tie in tie in books. So they'll, they'll they'll get they'll they'll come back again. 
But I got a stack of end body problems if you want one, and that's it's the first edition from the old the old the old press. <laughs> oh, I think you just made Rachel's day. Yeah, so because they're kind of like the kind of like it's my end body problems are like my favorite book. Okay, well we'll figure um, that out. I may or may not have multiple copies of some of your books, so I can probably help Rachel out here. Do you have an end body problem? I am so glad you brought that up because like it, no no. Uh, no, all right. So, in body problem, I was actually talking about uh, uh, cash Cash corner. Yeah. Uh, so the in body problem, I've had the opportunity to read it. I don't own my own copy, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but okay. So, so th- this is a not safe for work <laughs> podcast, by the way, Tony. Okay. So you don't have to. Um, you don't ever have to censor yourself when you're when you're in the black lodge with us. But okay, what good. I can tell you is, what the. F- Fuck, dude. (laughs) (laughs) I I thought I thought you took the zombie genre to a new level on Pawnee Pool alone, but the in body problem, I I don't I uh, no, no, you, know you made him speechless. That's good because you know what? No, that's good. That's good. I, that's what I wanted. Uh, uh, and in fact, this is more more my lately. I've been that end body is the direction I'm going in. But the uh, might be one of the most absurd things that you've ever written. But holy crap, is it right up my alley, man? Well, <laughs> like the the, the <laughs> funny story. The editor said after she had finished editing it, she had to spend a week in bed with wine. Because <laughs> she couldn't handle it, she just uh, couldn't. Handle it. And lots of people uh, can't handle, it. and that's very well, you, good for me. I enjoy that. You can fix that by drinking the wine as you're reading. Yeah, you book. could do that. Yeah, or just don't bother reading. It. Um, but I'll, yeah, I'll see if I can snaggle a tooth, a couple copies. Of you. I do have. I don't have any Cast Town. Cast Town is gone. Uh, that 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 edition. But uh, it is very very hard to come by. Um, yeah, but I, it will soon be flooding the market like. You know, very soon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, soon is. We'll see. We got to get Cash Town made, which I'm very excited by. Like I said, I mean, I think it's the script is 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 cracking. It's good. And is uh, so, so is Bruce McDonald working on that one with you as well? No. No. Oh. Oh. Okay. Different. No. And in fact, uh, I, I'm working with. This is. I'm doing it very differently this time than I've done it in the past. Bruce and I have worked on a couple of films together. He's got the scripts for Ponty's Pool 2 and 3. That Is uh, that still happening? I don't know. I sort of pulled myself away from it because it's just getting too fucking frustrating. I've been working on that. I've been working on those films for uh, 25 years. I mean, we're, we're, I, I started Jeez. working on that, that the Ponty Pool, what's now Ponty Pool 2. I started working on that script the same year Ponty Pool came out in 2000 or 1997 or 98. And that's that's when that process started. So these scripts are ancient to me, and, and I, I find I get for, I, you know I know when to say I, I you know I don't need to be around this for a little while. So I'm letting them do it. There's a couple of great producers. Bruce wants to direct them. Uh, I don't know what uh, what's happening with them right now. I couldn't say, uh, but uh, you know, hopefully, uh, there's also another couple of uh, opportunities have sort of come up for me that I can have a little more control over. And one is, by fluke, the um, radio play, uh, which was commissioned by um, the CBC in Canada, uh, the the rights to it all reverted to me. And 
that's a very rare, <laughs> rare, happy day. And so I, 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 the, the rights to the, to the novel, I don't own them. Uh, to, to uh, you know, Bruce actually owns any adaptation rights, so that's, that's his. Uh, but I, I own the rights to the, to the radio play, which is interesting because the radio play is really the first movie. <laughs> so, so it's a bit of a, so I can't, I can't, what I'm doing and I have been doing is writing a sequel to the radio play. And it takes place in a, on a weather channel uh, with this one, with, and it's a kind of mirror. So there's one woman who's the weather person and her male um, uh, producer and, and a psychic. And it's about a kind of post Pawnee pool. We're living with the Pawnee pool endemic virus. So you've got, you've got in the weather reports, you've got, you know, bilabial plosives are coming in over Newfoundland. Uh, you can counteract it if you shout in uh, fricatives and alliterate with, the, you know what I mean? So there's this kind of like inoculations are all linguistic, right? And, you know, if you whisper and, but don't use any, you know, anyway. And so people are getting sick and some people do die, but, but it's more or less people are trying to stay ahead of it via the weather network that will tell them where and how these linguistic mutants, uh, variants are, are coming in. <laughs> and then they discover that there is a version coming up from the States uh, into Canada. And it's non, it's non, it doesn't use words. It's, it's a kind of tone, like a, like a, a, a and, and people are harmonizing with these different tones when they get it. And so there's no antigen. There's no way of pushing back on it. And it's and it's just you're finding huge groups of people in towns going and they're all harmonizing. It's freaking everybody out. And oh so, my god, zombie choirs! You know what I'm saying? So, <laughs> so right so up your that, alley. I mean, I'm not going to tell you the end. I'm not going to tell you the end, but the end would freak you out. So I'm going to hold off on that. So I'm working on that. I mean, I might do this like a even a short or something. You know what I mean? Just for fun. So there's that. Who knows? Uh, and I, I don't know what's happening with the Ponty 2 and 3. It's got some really top, top producers on it. And, you know, I, I hope Bruce gets to make them. Uh, I endorse them. They're good. Yeah. Um, uh, so, but that's, uh, that's an unknown. Really. So that being the, one of the big things that I wanted to talk to you about. And, and uh, you know, at this point, I, I kind of want to shift uh, the conversation over to your work as a, a screenwriter and your experience in that, because yeah. I I can imagine that it's been tumultuous at best because, uh, buddy, before I became a chef, I was a, uh, I was a film major and I worked on a couple of small sets and that was enough for me to say, oh, hell no, not doing that. <laughs> no, it's um, terrible. It's terrible. It, uh, it's, a, it's an absolute nightmare. But I... I find your connection to the film industry to be pretty fascinating. And it was that conversation that brought uh, Carl and Rachel here in, into the fold is like, we're huge fans of the collaborations that we've seen of your work on the screen. And I'm, I'm wondering like uh, after, uh, after the last few years and the last few projects that you've done, um, are you starting to see a shift or a path for you to do 
more and have a little bit more control. Yes, no, that's definitely true. And I mean, I the I have no regrets around the, the those grindhouse early grindhouse films I did with Collingwood, and I continue to work with them, you know, continue to work with them, and enjoyed that. I, but I realized at some point that I was kind of like I, I was not really. Uh, as much as I would try to influence and change things, they weren't really my projects. So I wasn't able to sort of say, no, this is how I want it to be because your role isn't that. Um, yeah. And so I w- I've been trying to sort of work on projects. This cast town, uh, the producers are very generous about the control I get on it, and they want me to have control and they want me to sort of, they want my influence to be solid. So that, that to me, this has been a very good experience on that score and I'm putting. I've written a short, and I'm 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 going to direct it. This is the first thing I've ever directed, uh, and because I'm building up to see so what I want to do, is for Christ's sake, I want to direct my own features sooner than later, and 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 so I'm I'm building those blocks now, uh, and I, I think it, it will take. I've got you know all, all it all it takes is sort of like, uh, you know, pulling the trigger on it a little bit. There's a uh, um, a short, a, a short script I've written, and that would that would that would blow up nicely into a feature. So yeah, no. In answer to your question, all of those other things are are satisfying in their own way. That is, running gun, you know, gun for hire, uh, script doctoring, whatever it is. Those are all satisfying and interesting and uh, frustrating. But you have to know the biz a little bit to not get as frustrated as you can get. Um, and and that that took years for me to figure that out. But I realized that what I really need to do is have something that, um, you know, because I, I realized that what, when I get hired to do, to, to do something now, and even back then, everybody, I have a reputation for being like crazy. And so that what I write, I've, that what I write is going to be unmanageable. It's going to be wild you know, well, yeah, get Tony on. He's great, but you're going to have to corral him and tether him and, you know, feed him chloroform. And it's just going to be ugly because he's going to want to, he's going to want to write crazy shit. And, and that's fine. And what I usually say the first time when they hire, when they hire me, as I tell them that you got to realize, of course, that you're hiring me and everything that comes with that you know so i and so most of the people i work with now know that and we and they want to do they want to you know they want to do original stuff as well that's that you know that's right they uh, want to do the crazy shit right yeah yeah Yeah. um (laughs) which i think is your responsibility if you're going to make small films i think your small film should be madly ambitious it should completely wipe cliche off the off the off the face of the earth and it should be ridiculously ambitious it should be wild i mean because if if you if you're making it for little money you know then all you've got is your own your own imagination and your own original attack and we're not going to push any limits if we're not uh, if, if we keep drowning in stagnation you know yeah yeah well the the uh uh, so I'm going to I'm going to uh, with you know with on my own uh, direct I want to direct this feature, which will be you know and I'm fine if it's completely. Uh, don't tell anybody this. If it's completely inaccessible and non-commercial, I don't I'm, I, I I don't care about that. Uh, this particular feature I want to make, 
so I'm not going to, I'm not just not going to entertain the sort of, you know, why don't we set it in Michigan? I'm sure we'll get a 10% more of an audience. If we get, it's just the weirdest, bizarrest producer things that they throw at you. They go, that I'm just not going to listen to anybody. I mean, they'd be, I'm not going to listen to anybody. So we do a lot of video hacks. We What's do that? a lot of uh, first-time filmmakers at IMDb podcast, which is one of the ones I do. And what I always say to them is, you make the film for yourself. Yeah. And, you well, know, I mean, and, but that's easy to say. We'll follow. Maybe well, that's easy to say, audience. though. I mean, because you got to sit down at a table and talk somebody out of a shitload of money, and that person <laughs> is the person who's going to tell you. You know what what they wanted to do for them, mm-hmm. and 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 you're going to get actors, and you're going to get other people. So it is, and I mean it's it's important. I will make use of. I think you should make use of other people and their input. But the the thing is, you should be the person who finds the people to give you that input. Exactly. And if you're smart, there are people that will challenge you. If you're smart, there are people that'll know when you're full of shit and you're not doing it the right and they'll, they'll know when you're making mistakes and they'll know when you're not doing what you think you're doing. Mm-hmm. All those things should be, those questions should be addressed to you hard and you should have to answer them. But if the interest at the table is all, you know, about the, the commercial viability of it, which is what it always is, um, then, then you don't win any of those. You don't win any of those arguments. And so it's tough. I mean, what I'm saying is it's tough. And so I really like working in low, low budget films, you know, with the Collingwood guys. I mean, they're, they're films that, you know, nobody, nobody would give them any money for because they're just fucking insane. It kind of <laughs> sounds like you're building a Canadian trauma troop up there. And, and <laughs> what? if that's what's happening, I'm down. Like, I'm so into oh, it. Oh, well, that's it cool. totally is. I mean, you know, we're huge fans of trauma up here. And, uh, you know, I, I sometimes see the, the old uh, John Waters Candyland g- group out of Baltimore in these, in this, yes. in this guy, these guys, oh, you know. There's the same guys, and they're all fucking degenerate and <laughs> dissolute and, uh, you know. I. And so, and, <laughs> and, and you know, so I, I, I enjoy it very much that way. It's a family for sure. It's a family for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and... Uh, but yes, I'm looking forward to and excited about doing this, doing these two projects, the, the short first and then and then a feature. But uh, in the meantime, you know, I'm happy to get, you, you got to be happy to get the work because it's how you get paid, right? Exactly. Well, I mean, that's, that's actually something we were talking about a little bit earlier was you actually, I, I talked to you about it too, right after I read it, the, uh, the short story, Raynaud's Berries that you just put out. Um, yeah. Like I, and and I saw the next day that you got picked up for I guess publication on that. I mean, are you yeah. getting paid for these stories, or is this? You just don't get paid you much. Know? I mean, you don't get paid much, and I'm 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 very bad at that. I, I I've gone through agents and managers, and and they don't like me because I'm not very good at that. <laughs> um, but I do. There are things I need to get paid for, and I do make sure I get paid. Uh, but uh, you know, short fiction. Yeah, you know, I, I no one. There's not a lot of money out there, and so I mean, I you know, I don't know. I'm probably I probably uh, undersell myself. One of the things I do, and I don't think it's a bad idea, but oh, I'll give you an example why I I might be okay in my head about this. Uh, Pollypool, the the radio play has then 
subsequently gone on to have this kind of new life as a as a play that gets produced, stage productions. And it's been done dozens of times. Like it's been done in uh, in, in 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 France, it's been done in Germany, it's been done in the UK, it's been done all over the States. Uh, done, I think, in BC here. It's been and done in Wales. <laughs> so it's been done all over the place. And and when I get asked, you know, I get typically asked, uh, Mr. Burgess, how much would you, how much is it going to cost for us to do this? And I say nothing. I say nothing. Just just say I wrote it, and and uh, and then attach a link to my books or whatever in, in your promotional stuff, because. These are theaters are not huge theaters. And if I'm going to say, you know, I, I want what? 500, two, 500 bucks, 2000 bucks. I want 10% of your, I want, you know, I want stuff. I want $20,000. You know what I mean? Well, though, none of those numbers are going to necessarily change my life, but they may cripple a production. They may make them consider, no, I'm not going to, we can't do this. Mm. And so I say, no, nothing. Go, go, have fun, make it. And then I consult with them. If I give the time, I consult with them and we have a good time and I enjoy it. And then I, it has a life of its own and it's out there right now swirling around. So now actually some big outfit in, in the UK, uh, in London has picked it up. And, I'm, and for that one, I've had to sign all kinds of contracts and there's lots of money attached to it. And they want to sort of own, own the the world rights to it. So that's a that's that was actually my kind of goal a little bit was to make it as popular as I could, and then until somebody comes along and makes it and, and big time, mm-hmm. then maybe I can make some money off it. But no, they the, their rights. I see you sticking your tongue out, but their rights don't extend beyond a certain period of time, and doesn't extend beyond a certain piece of geography. So it's not. It is so ridiculous getting into that edge of the industry. It, it really is oh, like when yeah. you start to learn all of the, the different moving pieces of all that. Oh. And again, like that's why I bailed. Like I, my goal was to become a director. And then I found out what the scene in the industry was like. And I was like, no, I'm good. Really? Like I'm good. Yeah. Um, well, I, um, uh, well, the point of my story was, so I had an agent who said to me, oh my God, you couldn't, shouldn't be doing this. This is what you put it in my hands. I'll take over because you're just you're just selling yourself, you know. So uh, she says, I'm, well, "I said, well, what are you going to do?" I said, "I'm going I'm to take ten percent of the door, and this and that." I can't remember exactly what it was. And I said, "All right, so okay, go. You do your thing. That's fine." That year, I gave her a year. Typically, in a year, there'd be eight to ten productions around the world, different places. There was zero. In that year, zero. So she had, and they, I knew people were contacting her because they'd contact me. And then I'd say, no, go talk to her. Go talk to my agent. Talk to my agent. None of them were made. Now, I ask, is it better to make nothing and have your work done, you know, t- t- 10 times a year in different places of the world to get that out there, maybe sell some books, maybe get the, you know, maybe get the ball rolling with that, generate some excitement and interest in all that. And not get paid, or not do that, and not get paid. <laughs> so it's it, it to me it was like a really clear, clear choice. But of course, this is where I run into trouble with agents. The agent says, you know, I'm not doing this anymore. I well, you know, oh well. But <laughs> I mean, the same sort of thing went with the uh, 
Yeah, exactly. Well, same thing right. with, with, with the Foresight guys, right? I had a film agent. So I'm doing the, I, the Foresight guys, the Collingwood guys, Septic Man and all that. They, they come to me and we, we sort of knew each other a little bit because I had done little cameos in their first two films in uh, Monster Brawl and um, Exit Humanity. But <laughs> so we knew each other a little bit. And they said, we want to we we hire you to write something. Uh, but we don't have much money because it's a, it's, you know, these are no budget films. And I said, uh, you know, and, and we want you to write it was Septic Man. We want, want you to write us this film. We'll give you a week because we're shooting next month. And this is what we can pay it. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't nothing, but it wasn't, you know, what my agent would want, what my agent would ask. Not even close. Hmm. But my agent was getting me kind of work that fell through and there was all the money talk. It's going to be lots of this and lots of that, but none of it actually happens. And none of these films are going to get made that, that, that she's sort of fuddling to me, but here's these guys. They're giving me a week to go crazy on a film. They're going to pay me and they're going to make it. They're going to make it next month. And we're going to get to go to festivals and have a blast and it's going to be a great time. And I'm going to make some new friends and, yeah, I'm going to make a little bit of money, but it's not a lot of money. Uh, and so th- that to me makes sense to do yeah. that. And I, I've done that with them ever since that, you know, you, 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 there's all kinds of reasons to do things. But I take your point, Rachel, that you can't not get paid. Oh, but, no, that's that's not what I was saying. I was just genuinely well, wondering if that's something you do for you and you do inadvertently get paid for it, which... It kind of sounds like that for the most part, but um, short fiction, I usually get paid something, yeah. But it's again, it's, they're, they're, they're amounts that are not, you know, they're not going to change your life. But uh, yeah, usually the short fiction you do, and uh, the, the you know the books, the books, but screen screenwriting always. Here's a funny thing at ECW, uh, which they do sometimes. The press that published uh, the that, that big omnibus and the the Hellmouths and all that. <laughs> they um, the thing that they do with the writers is they'll get their their fiction writers and their poets to write kind of popular pop culture books under pseudonyms to help them make money. So <clears throat> the year that uh, Caesarea came out, I wrote a <laughs> episode guide and uh, cultural analysis of Dawson's Creek. <laughs> Under I'm the, sorry. Under the pseudonym Kathy Tibbs. Why are you laughing? And so uh, that book made 30 times more than Caesarea did that year. That is 30 times. That more. is the scariest fucking thing I've heard throughout this entire that is horrifying but you have to look you have to find Austin. revenue streams within the industry that can help you because i mean that's your responsibility you can't you, you know nobody really wants to publish you nobody really wants to give you money so you've got to kind of do it all it's a hustle and and it's about revenue streams and where you pull them from and and how you do that and, you know, whatever you say kathy <laughs> it's still for sale it's still for sale i checked the other day on amazon it's called they don't want to wait <laughs> what are you laughing at why are you laughing at me we're, we're not 
I, just, Yo, so I want to change So uh, yeah, no, that thing was like amazing. It was an it, an amazing thing. I and and since then I can never, I can't I can't if I see Pacey on screen I I, I vomit. Right, Carl, my friend, go. Uh, I'm going to change subjects here for for a little bit because. We're getting we're well over an hour and, and there is yeah, one particular question I wanted to ask. Yes. And and we take a look at Pontypool and then we have that tag at the end, which then directly goes into a film I want to talk about a little bit, and that's Dreamland. Dreamland. Uh, yes. Dreamland to me is absolutely just out there. And I love it to death. And and two two quick questions is, uh, did you have any uh, um, you know relationship with Stephen McCaddy, who of course is in both? Films? Yeah, Stephen McCaddy is a good friend. I've worked with him on lots of things. He, he's well, obviously Pontypool and Dreamland, but also he shows up in um, uh, uh, Ejecta. He th- mm-hmm. shows up. I don't know if he shows up in Ejecta. That's Julian Riching, but he shows up in Septic oh, no. Man. He's the mayor. Yeah, of he is Man. in Septic Man. Where's the Septic Man? Where's the Septic Man? <laughs> <laughs> and he shows up. You know, he he in Hellmouth. He he is the Hellmouth. And uh, uh, other movie. things too. I mean, and I've used you know I've worked with him as a voice person. Uh, and so Stephen actually was instrumental in in how Dreamland, uh, why Dreamland was made. Stephen uh, was in a, a short uh, sort of biopic about the last, I think it's called The Last Days of Chet Baker. And he had this dead on impersonation, dead on impersonation of Chet Baker and the, vo- and the voice and everything. And he yeah. could sing. I mean, you know, and so he came to Bruce and I and he said, you know, here's my film, uh, you know, the, the short. And uh, I want you guys to write uh, a film, write any kind of film you want about the end of, of, of Chet Baker's life. Tony, you write it. Bruce, you direct it. At the time, we thought, you know, who does that? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and, so, and so we sort of sat down and we realized, excuse me, early on that there were, that coming down the pike, there were like three Chet Baker bios coming down, biopics, right? And, and these people had, had wrestled with the estate of Chet Baker, you know, for years to get there. And had doled out tons and tons of money. So the first thing we had to do, break it to McCaddy, that no, we can't, we can't uh, make it a film about Chet Baker. Um, but we can make it a film about a trumpet player who's a heroin addict and, uh, you know, I'm saying, uh, uh, nudge, nudge. And so, uh, uh, and, and then we're, it's kind of freed me up. To sort of go in any direction I wanted, really, because Bruce is, is like that too. He's Bruce trusts me, so he, he, you know, so I went off into a room and just uh, for whatever freaking reason, I, 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 I sort of was kind of thinking a lot about that post-credit non sequitur scene in Pontypool, and I thought, you know, it's funny, it's kind of ironic that we're not getting a chance to write a sequel. I'm not getting a chance to get a sequel film, but maybe I can. And so I just sort of meditated on those two there and, and uh, came up with this bizarro kind of, you know, gangster, gangster film with doppelgangers and uh, uh, Johnny uh, Dead Eyes and Lisa the Killer and, 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 and Johnny Dead Eyes uh, is, 
copied as as Chet Baker, and uh, the rest of it just sort of evolved. And Bruce and I never, for a moment, imagined that the film would ever get made. Because he's a, he does he directs a lot of films, and he's got a stack like this of, of scripts, right? And so yeah. he's always takes them with him, and he goes to festivals, and you know hands hands them to potential producers or who and what you know read this and and come and talk to me. And, and usually we think you know the big ones are. Well, the Pontypool sequel, everybody wants to talk about the Pontypool sequel. So that's probably going to be the one or this or that. So Bruce, apparently, and I was I was not aware of this, <clears throat> was in Luxembourg, I think a film festival or something. And he had handed the Minister of Culture or Minister of something or other a bunch of scripts because they asked. They said, you know, we would like to make a film in Luxembourg. Do you have any scripts or any projects? So he handed him a bunch and he just tossed in Dreamland for fun. And so then he gets the call, like, you know, about a month later, uh, Bruce, we want you to make Dreamland. We think it's a masterpiece. <laughs> and Bruce comes and tells us, and we're like, they said, what? <laughs> <laughs> and so they put up, they put up a good amount of money, uh, you know, and then, and then Canada put up, uh, kind of equaled it, in, it, I think Telefilm did. And uh, Stephen was already on board, and Juliet Lewis uh, – uh, uh, liked it enough to mm-hmm. climb on board, and Henry Rollins was a late pick, and then there was a fellow from Iceland, Henry Rollins. Uh, so anyway, we had a good, we had a pretty good cast, and so uh, you know, then it got shot, and and it came back, and there it is, and it's just you know, you talk about your sort of headaches for distributors. I mean, it's, it's, it has distribution, and you can find it, but. You know, it didn't get, and also COVID or whatever kind of crushed everything. It was the bad timing of that. Uh, I mean, yeah, obviously, but also at the same time, that is a script that is not. No matter what genre element that falls into Dreamland you connect with, you're going to have to be deeply seated in that for you to even have it pick up on your radar. And I found that to be really disappointing, Tony. And, you know, not the film, not the story. I absolutely love that. But the distribution, the efforts of marketing it, it was just, yeah, whatever. Uh, you know, I mean, I, this is one of the things, which is fine. I mean, the business has to run itself on its own terms. And and right. and you, you, you are, anytime you, you are making product for that, bit, that industry, right? I mean, that's just, there's no way around it. And so you're going to have to, they're going to have to fit, you're, they're going to have to see how they can, to turn a profit or at least do something with it that's of value to them. Um, and, and and if they can't, then they have it completely in their rights to say, you know, we're not going to throw we'll you this amount of money to do it. Um, so, I mean, that that's totally, I, I, I've, I've reconciled myself with that, 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 that there is, there is good reason for that. But. So, so one other question, you know, uh, as we talk about the films that you have written screenplays for and that, uh, Name us one or two that you're particularly proud of that haven't, that our, our, our listeners, particularly at ISF, might not be familiar with. Films that are actually made? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The ones that are already out there in the ether that we can uh, share with our listeners. Um, but do you know what? I mean, it's a totally challenging film, and it's certainly not for everybody, and it's completely fucking batshit crazy. But I think Hellmouth has a future. You just make John extremely happy. Uh, but it, <laughs> yes. I mean, it takes a certain kind of way of looking and experiencing it 
And uh, I, you know, I mean, so but you, so you can't prepare your audience for it. it. It has to find, and it has found people that are sort of like really like it. Uh, Ever since I discovered it, I watch it once a week throughout the course of Halloween. Just to let you know. Good for you, man. That's that's you're brave. That's it. I I I I have no problem with it. I don't struggle with these films, obviously, but I, I mean, I, I think it gets a bit of a. It gets the, the the sort of last act has got some burden on it. But the uh, you know, I think that it's there's so there's so much to be entertained by, and yeah, it takes whatever genre it is. And what, that's what I loved about John Getty's the director. He came to me because I. I I was in their sort of stable, right? I'll write your films for you for a period of time. And, you know, directors come see me and tell pitch me your idea. They didn't have to pitch me. They just tell me. And so John Geddes came to me and he said, Val Luton, um, Ed Wood, and... It was totally Ed Wood. And something else. And he says, and, and I need a, I need a, 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 in the middle of it, I want to... Prison break, two guys just show up. And I'm like, and I'm taking all my notes down. And at the end of the day, I'm looking at it, you know, I'm just going to do exactly what you said. And now <laughs> that'll, that'll teach you. That'll teach you to come to the writer with your ideas. And so I kind of did that. And, you know, he loved it ultimately. But yeah, it's completely, it's a perverse, obscene conglomeration of, 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 of it's referentially mad. And uh, dude, as, I'm right here. You don't have to talk about me like that. Really. <laughs> or oh, oh, you were talking about the movie. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm but so it, sorry, was, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was hate. It wasn't hated. But again, I mean, these films often experience that where it comes out, and you know, it, sometimes festivals they got an axe to grind, and they've got to grind it on 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 certain things. And and I think that it it. it um, there were lots of opportunities for for critics to hate on it because it had it was it was just you know easy to do I think and easy to show off that you knew you understood it um, mm. <laughs> so I think there was that kind of dynamic going but that died away you know uh, fairly quickly and I've talked to a lot of people who've really dug it and some directors who really liked it. And some reviewers too have kind of like, almost like a whoops, we should have talked more about that. But <laughs> so that's a film that I think actually has a little future to it, that, that I, it'll get discovered in some different way uh, somewhere down the road. Good. No, it's already developed a cult uh, following at this point. It is, it is the marriage between the absurdity and the insanity of modern horror, horror cinema while also simultaneously paying respects to classic horror cinema yeah. and blending those two together. Yeah. It was fucking genius. Like, <laughs> I, I love it. I'm, I'm sorry. Like, I, I just... Well, you're that making is, me happy. You're making me happy. No, no, no. That is now on my, my, my top... No, that's in my top five. Top five Halloween movies. Of all time, definitely. Wow. Well, then we'll just have to do a commentary watch. Well, thank you, thank you. There is no commentary on on on. Are oh, you talking about you making a commentary? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's cool. I don't. Or maybe you joining us? Sure. Yeah, I'd do that. <laughs> that would be awesome. Yeah, I know that there are some bands, some sort of hypno bands, uh, trance bands, 
noise bands in in Montreal that use it projected on stage <laughs> when they're doing shows. So, but it's so rhythmic, it does make sense. Yeah, yeah. Well, so that one, you know, uh, that one, um, I lo- I do like ejecta, but it's I have a personal soft spot for that one. Yeah, me too. And it has yeah. a it has a story. I mean, it was it was uh, uh Matt Wheely, God bless him, who was the sort of third, the three the three guys at, at Foresight, uh, Jesse Cook, Matt Wheely and John Geddes. And they all directed, produced and, and you know, uh, did things on each other's films. So it was a kind of rotating thing. And it was Matt Wheely's turn up to direct. And he was hell bent and he wanted to make a, uh, a found footage film, which I wasn't at the time. I was totally not crazy about, uh, and I don't even know if I'm still. You know, you have to win me over. You know, I'm not automatically going to dig your, your found footage. You got to win me over. So, but but he had this good idea, and it was about this alien crashing, and he had Julian Richings already teed up, and this and that. And so I wrote it, um, and we shot it, and it was kind of amazing. The shoot uh, was amazing, and the, what we looked at, at the, on the day was fantastic. And then, you know, really was uh, sent off to do the ed- to edit it down to an assembly. And because found footage, you can't cut like you do a normal film. You don't have coverage. You don't have this and that. You don't have time. You know, flashback. You don't have all these other things that you can go to, to to slice up your film and to you know to do things. We had he had he had only sh- he had shot the story in big seven eight minute chunks sometimes fifteen minute chunks and so they had to be put together in this weird way and in the end of the day there was only fifty seven minutes of it and so it was a bit of a disaster and God I felt so sorry for him because what he had shot was great but it was just we didn't anticipate the problems we would have with a found footage film getting into the into the editing and realize and and not having enough uh post production health post production yeah. health so uh yeah. you know we we called up uh, Chad Archibald who was over there Black Fawn and there we're sort of you know we always communicate with each other and uh cheer each other on they make they're terrific we got distribution up they make all kinds of great films um and so uh, I wrote a wraparound story. Chad directed it. We brought in Lisa Huell from – she's uh, Stephen's no, wife. Really? Yeah. And uh, uh, and we shot it. <laughs> and, and so there's this bizarre little wraparound story. But we managed to save all of the other stuff. But I kind of like it. I mean, it, it's a complete um, – uh, hybrid of a of a story, like it's 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 bits pasted onto bits, attached to bits. But I think it gets I need a way title. Way. What's that? I need a title of what? The 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 precursor film that you were just mentioning. What what am I looking up? Oh, ejecta. So there is a there is an uh, amendum to that. Or? Yeah, no, 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 no. We say we 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 had the fifty seven minute uh, found footage film. But you can't. We couldn't release it because it's only fifty-seven minutes, and it actually didn't sort of like it just felt unfinished. So it, we got we hired Chad Archibald to direct a wraparound story on it, which is what you get right, so when that, you see it. There's all the other stuff with the the, 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 the uh, secret 
police and the, you know, the torturing with the plinth helmet and all that hilarious stuff. It's completely trashy. And then, uh, and we got Lisa Huell in that. And so that's the film that you end up seeing in the ejecta is this kind of hybrid of this director, that director, this thing and that thing. But like, I, like you say, it has a kind of charm and a kind of watchability to it in its own way that I think is, it holds up on its own. But what yeah. was that? Uh, was that Julian um... Richings? Yes, that guy. Um, it was so great to see him actually take a leading role for a moment. And, he loved and it, and he got, it got really good reviews. And his role in it got great reviews out of Montreal, where it premiered, because he's terrific in it. And and the, you know you sh- you give these guys these kind of character actors. Steve McCaddy's one to some extent, and Julian Richards, sort of character actors who you you're familiar with because they show up in different things as the doctor right. or the you know what I mean, the yeah. ship captain or whatever the hell. Um, but they're t- amazing and terrific actors who you give them the chance to sort of have their own, their own vehicle. And they will, they will, you know, they'll, they'll give you the performance of a lifetime. And that's what happened yeah. with Stephen McHattie and Pontypool. Oh, that's it totally like- did. Yes, it totally did. Totally. Did. And the other thing was, which was a casting genius work move on Bruce's part was to hire his wife, Lisa yes. Huell, to be uh, the manager, Sydney Breyer. Sydney. Because what we didn't want it to be, we didn't want it to feel combative in a yell at you way. You know what I mean? Because I find that exhausting when when films when people are yelling all the time in a film because they don't get along. You know, and you get that a lot in in found footage because the actors are improvising, so you get a lot of fuck you, fuck that, fuck that, fuck that, and it drives me crazy. So I didn't want we didn't want to have the, that kind of energy, uh, and we also didn't want somebody to be intimidated by Stephen. Because he's a force of nature, and he was going full, full Stephen, and so getting Lisa at this uh, and him as a package, she knew exactly how to sort of deke oh, that, check him up here, hold that down. She knew exactly how to play him on screen, how to how to control him, and it completely worked that way. That's why their their the relationship is uh, to me, anyways, absolutely believable. And she comes across as very strong. Yeah, she does. And, and Stephen is the more vulnerable, the more vulnerable character. Agreed. So, I mean, yeah, that yeah, was yeah. just. No, no, it really does. Like Sidney Breyer's character comes across as the strength in the whole show up until the, the finishing scene of Pontypool, yeah. uh, of course, where the, the, those roles briefly slip. However, Tony, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart. But screw you, because I'm going to be sitting there wondering whether or not they succumbed to insanity or actually got out of it at the end of Pontypool, the film. Uh, so thank you, but screw you. Well, you know, that's, that really brings me to, to my next thing is is one that's um, not talked about as often is one that has a little bit of a special place in my heart because it's very much the narrative that I like. Um, Like one of my favorite movies ever is stranger than fiction. So, I mean, add a really grotesque horror element to that. And you have Idaho winter. Oh, Idaho winter. How fun. I, uh, I have a script for Idaho winter. Really? Uh, Yeah. 
uh, and it's a it's quite a good one. Uh, worked on it for a long time with a fellow by the name of um, uh, Sean Weinstein, uh, a director who's actually directing a film right now. Uh, it's another one of those things where the everybody likes the script, everybody likes the book, but then when they sit down and say, "Okay." Is it something we can make? And and usually we don't get an answer. So it's yeah. got an uphill, it's got a little uphill battle yet to fight. Um, but yeah, the script is uh, the script is done for that. And <clears throat> that was that book was quite well received actually. And I wrote it as a young adult novel. <laughs> I could see that. And and the press uh, didn't want to release it as a young adult novel because they thought I'd have a problem with that. And I remember getting into a big fight with them about it. But uh, the uh, uh, yeah, that was a uh, a fun book to write. Yeah, it it um, seems a little cool. antithetical to to what you normally do because you do have a tendency towards like the gore, horror, and zombies, and really pretty words. And I feel like maybe you put a little bit of yourself in there. Not not saying that you are you know a lazy writer, but basically you know kind of like poking fun at yourself when you write that, you know, the main character figures out that he's just the victim of a, of a, a lazy writer. And he's like, yeah, yes, yes. yeah no, totally. like, fuck yeah, you. totally. Yeah. And I wanted it to be readable in a way that the others maybe weren't, I was sort of beginning to feel like they were not, you know, I wanted to write something that people would buy and read, which didn't ultimately happen with that book, but it, I wanted to give it a chance and make it a little more stable story-wise, but it comes completely apart anyway. Uh, and yes, there is a little bit of a, a kind of parody of of young adult novels generally, and of of uh, of writers uh, who aren't good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. and what happens? And, and young adult writers, I got you. Uh. Yeah, what, what Dude, I'm right here. You don't have to call me out like that. That's just... <laughs> Listen, folks, I got to get going. Absolutely. Um, uh, no, Rachel, so... do you have any more questions? I don't. But okay. if I do, I'll just like message you later or something. Sure, sure. <laughs> Carl, any final are you guys uh, any social uh, business out there? I know that I've got you, uh, Carl. Uh, yeah, well, well, we do TV uh, and Legion. We've got a couple shows coming up uh, tomorrow. We have a, an author by the name of Heath Lawrence, who's a good friend of mine. He's got a uh, one of his uh, first novels is being reprinted. He's got two more novels coming out. And a uh, thing of short stories. So we have him on on Tuesday, and then on uh, Saturday we're going to have a uh, a woman by the name of Jenny Lenz. That's the name that she goes by, professional name. She's a, a photographer that was uh, uh, basically covered the punk scene in in L.A. in mm-hmm. the seventies and eighties. Cool. So that's what we have planned, awesome. uh, Tony. It has been. A, absolute pleasure terrific man it's so it's always nice to talk to smart people who, who who know your work so i i thank you guys absolutely absolutely john any any final words yeah uh last few things carl uh can you uh well carl and rachel hang out with me for a minute we're going to continue this conversation after tony takes off tony can you tell our listeners uh where we can connect with you best 
And uh, of course, I will add this in the show notes. I'll no, reach I mean, out to just, you I'm later. On, like I'm, I said. On, I'm on Satan's social media at Facebook. I mean, that just that's just kind of me being late, too lazy to sort of move somewhere else because I don't. I have in, I'm on Instagram. <laughs> I'm on every the other things, but I, I just I none of them have sort of I've been on long enough or or spent enough time on. It's just Facebook has all my gravity, and I have all kinds of mixed feelings about that. But that's where you'll yeah. find me most, you know, most of the time. All right. Fair enough. Well, uh, I will definitely uh, post that information with our followers, with our fans, and uh, between the three of us, we will spread that like wildfire. Tony, I want to say thank you so much. I am incredibly gracious that you took the time to come and hang out with us tonight. Uh, meant a lot to all three of us, as well as the vast majority of our listeners that are going to be tuning into this. So thank you again, my friend, and you have an open invite to come back anytime. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. I had a lot of fun. Thank you for some of the funniest and freakiest shit that I've ever read in my life. (laughs) There's more coming, baby. (laughs) Good. Keep it going. Bring it on. (laughs) Ciao. All right. Good night. May the Schwartz be with you. (laughs) All right, my friends. That's going to wrap it up for the evening. But before I go, a few things to remind you of. December, we'll see the release of at least the first couple of episodes of our series on the Brown Mountain Lights, including interviews with other team members who were present for the two very uniquely different experiences that we had over the course of the two days that we were on the cliff. As well as audio captured from the site, the study of a few audio anomalies we captured, you'll also get a chance to meet a few more members of what is quickly becoming a very, very large family of paranormal investigators and similar-like people. Uh, We have the second and third episodes of Twin Geeks coming through December, and by the time we hit episode three, we will definitely be ripping that mystery apart and going into some really, really weird places, so don't miss that. And uh, December 19th, we will be hosting a live tour of the Sally House in Atchison, Kansas at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. And that will be followed by a live investigation in the house at 8.30 p.m. Eastern, 5.30 Pacific. We are splitting this into two events because once we fire up the investigation, I will not be interacting with Fireside all that much as we will need to keep our focus on the actual experiments. But I do hope to keep the feed running just in case one of you managed to see something in the background that maybe we miss while we're busy. This will be live streamed on Fireside, uh, but I will also have it simulcast to Twitch and to YouTube. I'll be updating the link tree and all of our bios with the uh, all of the aforementioned links here very soon. Uh, don't forget to follow XV Planets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and everywhere else. And feel free to email us at xvplanets at gmail.com if you would like to share any of your own strange experiences with us or maybe even pop onto the show and tell us about it uh, face-to-face or at least voice-to-voice. If you have a moment to spare and you're an Apple user, please take a moment to rate and review us on the Apple Podcasts uh, site and you know, give us a little bit of love there if you, if you like what we're doing. There will be a website coming first of the year and a Patreon coming in March. I kind of wrestled with that second one for a bit because I can't really justify the idea of doing a Patreon account without uh, content that I can say is worth it. Um, but by March... There's going to be a lot of content there uh, that is going to be worth it, including 
Um, basically an audio and video bank of all of our investigations, completely uncut, and, and also this is an opportunity to crowdsource. Like, if you want to get in on helping us uh, research and review some of the footage that we end up catching, because you got to remember, we're using multiple devices for audio and video, and it's a lot for one person to scroll through, I can tell you that much. And there we go, friends, fiends, and lovers of strange and wondrous things. I want to thank Carl and Rachel for joining me tonight, and and huge thanks to Deviant Legion and that community over there, and a huge thanks and much love to Tony Burgess for taking the time to come and chat with us. You'll find links to all things Burgess and Deviant Legion within the show notes and tagged everywhere else I share it on social media. Take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Also, uh, this is Krampus season, so be wary. Good night, friends.